Welcome to this special edition of the The Generation Podcast, where we'll be broadcasting all the sermons and workshops from the 2019 The Generation Youth Summit. I'm Bobby Bosler, and the next workshop you're about to hear was delivered by Ryan Swanson. It was one of the eight 0100 workshops that were delivered immediately after Dr. Jim preached his 0100 sermon, which if you haven't heard that, you need to hear it. Uh, the purpose of these workshops was to really apply to teenagers what 0100 could look like in the circumstances of your life. And in this workshop, Ryan Swanson shares with us what 0100 can look like at the job, on the workplace. Did you know, young people, you can walk on water even in your job? And Ryan will tell you how. So listen and expect God to do a miracle. All right, let's get started here. This should be fun. I'm looking forward to this. How many of you have jobs? Should about everyone, I would think, if they're in here, right? Almost everyone. Not quite. Good. As Christians, don't be ashamed to have a secular job. Don't be ashamed. Especially in your teenage years, young adult years. Don't be ashamed of that. God's going to use that, um, and there's a reason you have that job for sure. Big reason is college coming up, right? How many of you are not in college yet, but you're planning on it? Okay, yeah, quite a few. So that is a, that's a big deal. If you believe what the Bible says about the borrower being servant to a lender, then you shouldn't have a plan to just go into school, rack up a bunch of bills, and hope to pay them later, right? That's not the idea. Unless you plan on living like a slave, like that verse says. How do slaves live? Well, they're not going out to eat. They're not really wearing what they want to. They're selling everything they have to try to pay off debts. If you want to live that way as a college student, then don't work now and just you know, live like a slave later. But I don't think that's the, how we want to be living that way. That's why God gives us jobs, right? So that's one reason. So don't be afraid uh, to have a secular job. But in that, we find a, a tricky balance sometimes in having a secular job. Our personal testimony, you want to have a personal testimony that's uncompromised while still being able to nurture relationships with in a secular job culture. Your integrity must be blameless while still submitting to unsaved authority. How about your evangelism? That must be prominent while still respecting policies and ethics of the workplace. It's a knife edge sometimes, sometime, and uh, probably in most cases. And when we talk about 0-100 in any situation, if you feel like in your workplace, like, you don't face a lot of impossibilities, you're probably doing something wrong. And that's the same in any aspect of your Christian life. If what you're hearing this week about 0-100 doesn't, it's not like life-changing for you, well, it's clearly because you're able to do your life on your own. Otherwise, this would be big news, right? 0-100 would be big news for you. If you're able to do it on your own, then you don't need as much God. And so this isn't going to be as, as uh, life-altering. So if you don't have any impossibilities at work, you're probably working the wrong job. But I'm not saying switch your occupation. That's not what I'm talking about. You're going to understand what we're talking about. Turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. We're just going to really get some principles from Daniel and then a lot of this is going to be practical, uh, being a workshop. I want it to be very practical for you. 
the three things we are going to talk about are your testimony in the workplace, your integrity in the workplace, and evangelism in the workplace. It's all honestly going to be leading to that last point, and I hope to be able to spend most of our time there, which is fleeting from us quickly. But um, the first two are going to have a big part in that as well. You know the story of Daniel, so I'm not going to read every verse, but I just want to point some things out. Daniel was, what, he was a captive, really. He was a captive when uh, Nebuchadnezzar went in um, and brought captives back to Babylon. And in verse 4, you're going to find out about these people who were captured, including Daniel and his friends. They were children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Wow, looks like they've got a job assignment. Here's Daniel. Have you ever thought of Daniel having a secular job? This is what he had. This was his job. This wasn't his ministry. This was his job, right? And it was for an enemy. So, yeah, it was definitely not a ministry situation. This was Daniel, who we all know and respect, but he had a job. Did his job have an impossibility? Look at verse 5. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of wine, which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Daniel had a problem right off the bat with his job. So, obviously, no problem. Daniel didn't have a problem with having this job. And in fact, with how God, we know God will bless through this job, we can say it was probably God's will for him to be in that position. God had a plan for him in that position. But he's faced with an impossibility. Look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. In verse 9, now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. What do you see? Daniel already had a testimony. Did that make a difference, you think? Now he's got the prince of the eunuchs who's fighting for him and and is making a way, in verse 10, making a way for them to be proved. So you have Daniel. He's got a secular job. He's faced with an impossibility. Why? Because he wants to maintain a testimony, because he wants to maintain integrity, because he has a mission in that job. Was Daniel's job the number one thing? It really wasn't. It really wasn't. We can so often get focused on our means of income becomes our main thing. And because I'm not an evangelist who gets paid for it, that's not my main thing. Because I'm not a pastor who gets paid for it, because I'm not a missionary who gets paid for it, and we look at our source of income as that thing that's number one priority should take the most of our time, the most of our focus, and that's not how it's supposed to be at all. You think about it just where our money comes from, and that becomes our priority? What is your full-time job? What is it? Yeah. Your full-time job. What's your part-time job? I don't care if you're working 70 hours a week, it's a part-time job. And that has to be your perspective, or you will never get this. Daniel's put in a position here where his part-time job working for the king, well, that's some part-time job. The part-time job working for the king is at stake. And what does he do? He puts it all on the line. He says, you know, you know the story. He's going to go on a vegetarian diet, basically, here. And uh, he's, he's not eating that meat. He's not drinking that wine. 
And verse 15, at the end of the ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. God took over. And, let's see, we just skipped ahead. Look in verse 20. What's the result of this? In all matters of wisdom, this is chapter 1, verse 20, in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. So, Daniel decides to put priority, number one, his relationship with God, his testimony, his integrity, his, his um, testimony of who his God is. Does it pay off in the long run? Is that a testimony to his boss? You're going, this is just the first story. Right after this, what's the next impossibility we find? In chapter 2, the king had a dream, right? King has a dream, no one can tell him. Daniel goes to God, gets the answer. Then he takes it to the king. In verse, 20, or in verse 27, Daniel answered in the presence, this is for chapter 2 of the king, and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. Hey, nobody can do this, king. Nobody. You're crazy. But there is a God. 0100. 28. There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar, and shall be in the latter days thy dream. And he goes on to tell him what his dream is. He's given an opportunity right there through his workplace that he would not otherwise have had. What's your part-time job for? Could be financially supporting your full-time job, going to college so you can study for the ministry, maybe, if that's what God's calling you to. But it could be giving you opportunities that you otherwise wouldn't have had. Think about it. Daniel never would have had this opportunity. He might have just been killed with the rest of the people, you know, if he didn't have this opportunity for a job. That's why he's here. But God works through that. How about Joseph's opportunity? Same thing. Joseph's opportunity to work through his job, eventually in Potter's house, ends up in jail, ends up getting a job in jail through that. Then he's able to have more influence, tell people's dreams, then ended up again before Pharaoh. You know, this is unbelievable how God works through these people's secular jobs. He wants to do the same thing with you. What is your full-time job? If you, you know, let's just say someday you're in heaven and looking back, let's say God sits down and wants to have a father-son or father-daughter talk with you, and he says, what did you do when you were here on this earth? Oh, I washed dishes at a nursing home. Oh, I mowed lawns. That's what I did. You know, I, I cooked. Um, I was a cosmetologist. That's what I did. Is that what you're going to tell God? No, you're going to be thinking of all the things that you did that still matter for eternity. Why? Because that's really your full-time job. You see, that's the perspective you've got to have right now. In God's eyes, what's your full-time job? Your evangelism can't be your side hustle. It won't work that way. Your full-time job must be prioritized. Your relationship with God, your evangelism... That's going to be number one. It's a full-time job. Get ready for it. So, again, the question, and this is going to be really, really vital as we go through this quickly. You may say, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm a nurse. I'm a landscaper. I'm a garbage man. You know, these things... 
That's who I am because that's who I'm called to be. That's my occupation. Remember this. God does not call you to be someone. He calls you to do something. So important. We look at sometimes Ephesians 4 when it gives the gifts, uh, the leadership gifts, and we see, you know, God gave some uh, evangelists, some pastors, some prophets, and we look at that and say, okay, well, okay, a pastor is a pastor because that's who God told him to be. No, those are gifts given to regular nobodies to do something. I'm, I'm not somebody because God called me to be an evangelist. And because God called me an evangelist, I don't sit here and say, oh, I wonder what an evangelist is. Guess I better figure that out so I know who I'm supposed to be. No, that's not how it is. We misunderstand the gifts. The gifts aren't occupations. God gives you a task to do, and then he equips you to do that task. Does that make sense? So as you're looking, you know, your occupation, your source of income, in other words, may not be a full-time, it may not be your source of him getting paid to do ministry, but did you know that is your ministry? Read on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. What do you find? Verses 11, 12. Um, don't bother turn there, just listen to me for sake of time. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, body of Christ. There's commas in there in English. There's not in the Greek. Let me just explain this really quickly. If you were to read this literally, it's like this. Why did he give all those leadership giftings? For the perfecting of the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's how it reads. It's not that these are all these a list of things. The ministry is... That's what the pastor is supposed to do. That's what the evangelist is supposed to do. No, they're supposed to equip you to do that. That's your full-time job, the work of the ministry. How does that look in your job? So first of all, a testimony. Did you know keeping a proper testimony in a workplace is impossible? There are so many things that can go wrong. And trying to keep a perfect testimony in a workplace where things go wrong and trying to be that perfect employee for your boss, it's impossible. Long story short, and i got to make this really short, but uh, I drive a truck and trailer for a landscaping company. Caleb works there as well, Naturescape Lawn Care, a big company, and uh, driving a truck or trailer for that. Long story short, I had to go into a parking garage with my truck and trailer. This was uh, about a month ago, two months ago. And I go into this parking garage, and it's looking really close with the clearance as I'm coming in there. And I thought, oh man, this is gonna be, oh, Micah's here too, Micah works there as well. So uh, it's gonna be really close, I'm worried about it. But they got that clearance bar, right? And I cleared that on the way in. But as I'm going in, I'm watching my mirrors, this is just too close, I'm not comfortable with this, I'm not getting in any deeper. So I try to turn around, just as I do, I start to hear a scraping noise. And then I, I stopped, and I thought, I gotta back up, Let's try to get back out, I slowly back up, you know, my heart's pumping, and all of a sudden, and water going everywhere. I mean, it was just like the worst nightmare ever. What do you do? And so, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't even think I'm normally like, but I fritzed out. Uh, I just, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. And so I just, there's the entrance. I gotta go. I don't know what else to do. You know, I talked to other people. You should have deflated the tires and get it lower. And I was just getting out of there, okay? And uh, so I just start heading for that entrance and things scraping and everything. And uh, I get out there, and it looked like the water pressure was dying down when I got out. Some kind of, you know, I don't know if they saw it on cameras and shut something off. Wasn't sure. I wasn't too worried about it. Damage to my trailer was minimal. I get out, um, do some Googling. I pull over, get some Googling, get the number for the place, call them. Left them a message. The only way I could get through saying, hey, I just busted your sprinkler head. You know, <laughs> and, uh, but honestly, 
I went on to the next thing and I totally forgot about it. You say, that's crazy. Well, I was on a tight schedule and I was out of state the next day for a wedding somewhere over the weekend. I totally forgot about this. And for whatever reason, I never let my manager know. Bad idea, bad idea. Monday comes uh, before I go out that we have our team meeting there and the manager says, Ryan, we need to meet with you in our office afterwards. And I go in, this is just a couple months ago, I walk into the office, I have no idea what it's about. I sit down and there's like all the big wigs in the company right there sitting. And uh, I sit down, they look at me, the head guy, his name's Dan, I've been, you know, we've been on good terms before, and he just says, Thursday night, start talking. That's all he says. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I literally didn't remember it, which was the worst thing to say at that point. He's like, don't mess with me, man, come on, start talking. And I was like, what, Thursday night, thinking back, and then like, oh. Yeah, and so then I told him the whole story. They had looked at it, they also were looking at the time, um, my timesheet, there was a discrepancy. They thought I, would, I had cheated on them a bunch of time that day. And it was just an absolute mess. And it was my fault. It was a character issue. And uh, that I hadn't communicated that thing. There's so many things that can go wrong. Maybe it's not busting a sprinkler head in a you know, parking garage. Hopefully not. But I had to go to my manager after that later on and say, and they you know, gave me mercy through the thing. But I said, look, I'm a preacher. I'm going into the ministry. I can't have character flaws, and I need you to stay on me for these things. If you see areas I'm late, and if you see areas that I'm not up to par, if I'm cutting corners here and there, you got to stay on me. you got to help me with this, because I, I can't be doing it. It's not my full-time job, and God's given me that part-time job to help shape me for something else, help prepare me for something else. Let me tell you, that was asking a big thing. I had no idea. He's even texting me this morning. That guy hasn't let me get away with anything. <laughs> and it's almost, uh, you know, unfortunate that I asked that. But no, it's, it's a great, how do you, how do you do, that's an impossibility. My point in this is to show you different impossibilities. As you see, every time you see an impossibility in the workplace, it's an opportunity for 0-100. My point isn't to give you the answer because you've been getting that in messages all over. You know how to turn to Christ as the only answer. Maybe you don't know where the problem is, though. Maybe you don't know where the impossibility is. This is it. You can't keep a proper testimony in workplace. You can't do it. Your own integrity. There's things like working on Sundays. There's things. Um, we had a rainstorm last week, and a message came from corporate saying, hey, I want you guys, I know we had promised the customers that we'll do fertilizer for them as well as the weed control, but we're just going to cut the weed control, not tell them because with the rain, it won't work anyway. So we'll just cut the weed control, don't tell them, just go out and do the application. I had a big moral dilemma that day. And uh, I talked to my dad about it, not sure what to do here. I didn't feel right about it. And uh, so I had to just take that to the Lord. Long story short, next day, go out, did enough lawns right up until the rain, and then got a flat tire. Had to take, it back to, take my rider back to the shop. And uh, the manager there says, you know what? It's not going to be worth you going back out in the rain anyway once you call it a day. Okay, that's, that's called the Lord coming through for you. I have no idea why I got a flat tire that day, but other than the Lord did it to cut it off so I didn't have to do something that would hurt my conscience, and I'm not sure what I would have done as soon as that rain started, but it was as soon as the rain started that happened. Find an impossibility. Turn it over to God. Finally, here in our last few minutes, the side of evangelism, which this is all leading to, obviously, because the reason why... Your testimony is so important is because you want to you want to be able to have everyone in the workplace know that you're a Christian and not be embarrassed about anything. You shouldn't be ashamed of that. You should be willing for everybody around you to know that you're a Christian. 
this is a big deal for me because I realized about a year ago that this was not the case. I had just come back from seeing God do great things in Australia. But I come back here and I realize this is not the case. I'm not comfortable with everyone knowing I'm a Christian. I have this other person that I want them to be, this image of someone who I think would be cool, who I think would be respected, and I'm going to try to be that respected person and win God that way, or win people to Christ that way. And so I had this, and if that's you, and you're not willing for everyone to know you're a Christian, you know what you need to do to get over that? You need to go and buy one of those heaven shirts and just walk out there. Stand in the middle of the mall. That's what a couple of Judson Schultz and I, we went out and we just stood in the middle of the mall. You can't hand stuff out. We just, we just stand there in the middle of every Sunday afternoon. Why? Did we see people saved? No, we didn't. We saw some people visit church. We would have loved to. People knew we were there if they wanted to come and ask us. But I tell you, that was all for me. I needed that. I needed to die. I needed to be willing for everybody to know I'm a Christian. That's what I want to be known by. That is my identification, and that's it. Get one of those shirts. If that's you, you're not willing to do that, get one of those shirts. Is it the most effective and productive means of evangelism? Probably not, but it's going to help you, if nothing else, to get over yourself. You need to be willing to do that. So how does this work in possibilities with your witness at work? Can you witness on the clock? That's a tricky thing. That is a really tricky thing. There are certain maybe degrees or levels of things that you can do, but once again, you should be willing that every person you come in contact with knows you're a Christian, at least, very minimum. I do probably, it's between 30 and 45 lawns a day, fertilizing. So that's a lot of customers I come in contact with. I committed a year ago during this time that every time I talk with a customer, God would come up in the conversation, every time, even if it's just, hey, Jesus loves you. Even if it's just, hey, God bless you, man, and a purposeful God bless you, you would be shocked at the responses I get from that. Shocked, blown away. And people know at that point, here's a guy, there's something different here, and if they have something going on, they can bring it up. And there have been some awesome conversations come out of that. People breaking down, crying in front of me about things going on, taking opportunity to give them the gospel and pray with them. Even over the phone, calling someone for the next day, hey, we're going to come out to do your application. She sounded really down. I said, are you okay? Are you okay? She said, my mom's dying right now. I was able to pray with her over the phone and have that connection with her. You know, just people looking at me in the office, like you're praying on the phone with these people. You know, but that's, there's going to be opportunities that you wouldn't see coming unless this was your full-time job. <laughs> Moving on. This is a big one right here. Bridge statements. So maybe you're hoping during this time that I'm just going to give you ways to make it easier to give the gospel. That's not the case. Because I want to show you how proper evangelism is impossible. There's never going to be a perfect bridge statement. Stop looking for it. There's not going to be. There's, you know, th there's opportunities the Lord gives that it just flashes, shines in your face. Boom, this alert. This is an opportunity for the gospel. Those happen, definitely. Uh, I was fertilizing one time on uh, one guy's lawn, get done with him, was driving on to the next one, was just a neighbor, but the guy thought I was going to skip him. So he comes out, he walks up to the, he's waving me down, and he says, no, you got to do mine. And I said, yeah, I'm about to do it. And he says, oh, and he takes God's name in vain, bleepity bleep, and he said, I thought you were going to skip me. And I said, well, speaking of Jesus Christ, I actually have a track right here to tell you all about him. <laughs> you know, think about how many times 
in the workplace, you think, and I've heard this, and it's fine, but you think uh, people just talk about, well, if someone brings up, you know, they take God's name in vain, best thing you can do too is say, hey, don't, don't do that, man. Don't, don't do that around me. You're looking for a bridge statement. They're bringing up the person who you're not allowed to talk about in the workplace. They're bringing it up. Talk about him. You brought it up, and think about it. You know, what's the worst that happens? So you, you, if, if every time someone uses the Lord's name in vain around you, you try to transition to the gospel, one of two things are going to happen. They're either going to get saved or they're going to stop bringing his name up around you, right? <laughs> they're going to stop using his name as a cuss word. So there's opportunities like that. I was out um, plowing one time tr- uh, for my company in the wintertime. We do plowing. I was training a new guy. His name was Richard. He had my phone because he was doing, uh, he was navigating for me. And my verse of the day came up on the phone as a notification came up. And so he holds it over to me. He's like, uh, what, what do I do with this? <laughs> and so I looked at it and I read the verse, but I just thought, uh, you know, I don't want to take it now. Can you read it to me? And <laughs> so he reads me the verse and it was blessed are those blessed, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And I was able to ask him, you know, is that you? And just give him the gospel right there. Clearly opportunities from the Lord. But if you wait for that to happen, you're going to miss your full-time job. You're going to miss a day at work. So don't wait for those opportunities. Don't miss those opportunities, but don't wait for those opportunities. If you don't give the gospel on purpose, you're not going to give it on accident. Don't wait for it just to happen. It won't. It won't be easy. And if you think that you can just wait for that cute little bridge that's going to come, you know, think about it. You're going up to someone and, you know, hey, how's the weather, man? And, uh, you know, it's about 55 degrees. Uh, You know, funny thing, kind of flashback when I was five years old, I think it was 55 degrees when I heard the gospel for the first time. You know, it's it's like you're trying to do all that. How much more awkward is that? And to this guy who... You claim you're giving him the answer how to get out of, you know, how to have eternal life and have him get out of hell, and you have to come up with some little dumb bridge to get there? Like, look, if, the, if God does it and gives it to you, great, take it. But don't wait for that. If you're, not, if you're not going to be forthright and honest with them, don't expect them to be with you. If you want them to be honest with you, well, be honest with them. And I think what you're going to find is that you will be shocked at the amount of people who are wide open for the gospel. They just need someone to, boom, give it to them. That's what they need, especially in our generation. You know how it is. People don't like the propaganda manipulation. We're just, just tell us how it is. That's how I am. Is that how you guys like it? I mean, just tell us how it is. Tell us how it is. Let us decide. That's what you need to do. That's what you need to do. Um, yeah, a couple, couple weeks ago, uh, just one of my employees, Peter, I mean, the guy, or Pete, you know, these guys know him. He's, you know, probably a druggie, drinker, smoker, everything. You know, he's just your classic um, Milwaukee culture guy. Um, but just, I waited far too long to try to find a good way to bridge into the gospel. And finally, it was just, hey, I got a question for you. Do you know for sure going to heaven? And he was blown away. No, no idea. Another guy, Chris, no idea. No idea. No sits right back down. Tell me about it. These guys are wide open to the gospel. Wide open. It shocked me. I couldn't believe it. Like, here I am working with these guys for this amount of time. Haven't done this yet. Waiting for a good opportunity. And these guys are wide open, ready for it. 
And uh, Chris even tells me, he said, this is crazy because just yesterday I turned on a church podcast while I was working. I have no idea why. I was just listening to this just yesterday. He said, this timing is incredible. And right now, you know, he just told me, he said, I'm going to be um, thinking about this because this is definitely something I want to make. There are so many more people out there that are ready and willing and open to this than we would ever realize. And don't be discouraged when one person isn't. You need to find the people who are. That needs to be your priority. That's why we throw out there to as many po- as people as possible that we let them know who we are. So if there's, someone who's, if there's someone who's looking, searching, ready, they know who to go to. That's a priority. But you're also, you're following up, you're going, you're finding, you're confronting. Don't worry about how it's coming across. If this is truly as big a deal as you say it is, it better look like it. It really better look like it. I had to apologize to one of those guys that I was just witnessing to at work. I said, you know, I've waited far too long to tell you this. I'm sorry, because it's a big deal. And I haven't been acting like it. Maybe you need to do that to some of your coworkers. It's a big deal. In conclusion, Peter, as we talk about looking for impossibilities, one of the classic impossibility illustrations that Dr. Jim uses is walking on water, right? You have Peter walking on water in that day. And I, I think about this, and I think it's, it's fantastic just about how Peter, and probably one of his, the, the best illustrations of faith that we have is looking at Peter, who just got out of seeing God, uh, seeing Christ feed the 5,000, and he comes from that. He's out on a ship in a storm. He already has an impossibility at hand. Then he looks out, thinks he sees Jesus, and he says, if that's you, what does he say? If it be thou, what? Bid me come unto thee on the water. Bid me. Ask me to. He could just say, if that's you, save us from the storm, right? Why did Peter ask for more? He wasn't called to be a water walker. Is that what he thought he was? Oh, he thought, oh, man, uh, being fisher of men, being called by Jesus to follow Jesus, that must, oh, in that job description, I didn't read the fine print. It said water walking, too. That was in there. No, it didn't matter who he was called to be. He wanted to do something. He was called to follow Christ. Christ is out there. That means, God, Christ, if that's you, bid me come unto thee. Now, why didn't Peter just see Christ and just cannonball, jump out of the boat? You ever think about that? Why did he ask Christ? Because it needs to come from Christ. Don't you want that for yourself? Don't you want that for you, for Christ to say, hey, this guy right here needs the gospel. Come on, give it to him. He's ready. I've got him ready for you. Your manager, he's ready. At the, if you read that, that chapter in Dr. Jim's book, I think it's chapter 6, at, uh, or listen to the podcast um, about uh, the Hy-Vee and what God did in my teenage years, that honestly, reading back that, that I learned just as much as probably you guys did from it. It's how it is. Some of you're just as much challenged by things that God did for you. And, and that's fine, you know, that's how it's going to be. That's why God says, uh, and Paul said, walk from faith to faith. You're supposed to look back and see what God did in your life and then go on to greater measures of faith in that. But, um, you know, in that case, God had prepared at Hy-Vee the manager over the whole place to get saved. It was unbelievable. You're not going to know who's right unless you ask. Ask God. Say, God, if you're in this, if, you're, if it's this, if you're in this, if, you're, if you want me to follow up again with him, if you want me to do this, if there's an impossibility, bid me come unto thee. Don't you think God will answer that? 
If you say right now in, in my workplace, in my workplace, it's not impossible. You know what you need to do? Ask Jesus. If it's you, bid me come unto thee. Find an impossibility. Zero one hundred works because God works. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the 2019 The Generation Youth Summit. If you were blessed by this sermon, don't forget to make plans to join hundreds of other young people next October for our annual meeting in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit thegeneration.org slash summit. And until next time, thanks for listening.